Welcome to Teach Em Up, the podcast about teaching and learning. I'm Nick Williams, and today we are talking about remote teaching practices and how to do it in the best possible way. So first off, welcome back. It's been a while. So teaching got really hard there for a second. I was, I was planning on kind of continuing these podcasts every week or two, and then the school year started, Uh, And as the school year started, teaching was totally different. As you are entirely aware, we've been dealing with some struggles in the world generally and in education, and that's caused us to have to do a lot of our teaching from um, remote places, so students are not in the classroom with us, and uh, it has completely changed what teaching looks like. Full disclosure, Teaching right now is about half as fun and twice as hard. A lot of the joyful parts of teaching have been taken away, so we're kind of lacking that face-to-face interaction with students, and I think a lot of teachers are, are grieving that a little bit while trying to do the best work that we possibly can. So today, we're going to go through and we're going to be talking a little bit about what is best practice in remote teaching and learning, and how do we do it right? And how do we make it so that students learn? And kind of where do we go? Okay, so um, let's jump straight in. So first, I want to just kind of frame all of this under the umbrella and under the concept that good teaching continues to be good teaching. The formatting has changed a little bit, but if you didn't believe in a teaching practice before this pandemic and before remote teaching, you were probably right. If you had a philosophy of teaching that was accurate and good for kids, then that is still normal good teaching. So as a general rule of thumb, do normal good teaching. I think there's this uh, this tendency that since everything has to be on a computer um, as we're going remote, that we should just lean like all the way into ed tech. And there's so many apps that uh, as we were just kind of getting into remote teaching, we're like, okay, yeah, we should use that and we should use that and we should use that and they're all fine, but they don't replace actual good teaching. So, um, you know, I have a lot of colleagues who are jumping into Flipgrid and Nearpod and Kahoot and, um, you know, Epic and whatever the platform is. I would just encourage everybody to choose a couple of um, platforms that work for you, probably ones that you were already using previously, and just use those. You don't have to have more apps, more platforms, um, because generally it just confuses kids. Um, obviously, you want some diversity in thought. You want um, you know different activities and different ways of kids interacting. But by and large, good teaching continues to be good teaching. If you used Kahoot in your classroom and it was really effective for your particular style of teaching, awesome. Keep doing that. Um, but if you didn't, that's okay. So what I've leaned to um, is I am pretty much using the same platforms that I was using previously. Obviously, the new one is Zoom. Um, everything is now via Zoom in terms of the, the face-to-face synchronous stuff. Um, but I continue to use Google Classroom for most of my um, like document management for kids. We're using um, Google platforms for just about everything, Docs, uh, Sheets, 
slides. Um, Jamboard is a nice new one. It's like a white digital whiteboard, and so kids can edit it together and share pictures and write on things, and that's really great for um, like brainstorming of ideas, especially as I do like science and engineering. Um, they can do a lot of like blueprinting and brainstorming and putting ideas together kind of through at a rough level through uh, Google Jamboard. Um, and then, you know, I'll bring in one or two other things. Um, I teach physics, so the FET simulators, P-H-E-T, um, can be great, although I don't use them all the time, um, but I do love their circuit simulator kit. Um, as we get into electronics and electricity, I'll use some Tinkercad for circuits. Um, but those are all things that I used already. Um, so by and large, keep doing good teaching. All right. So with that in mind, um, there are kind of two, two forms of remote teaching. There's synchronous and asynchronous. And um, these are words that we have all gotten way too good at uh, using fluently. It's more educational talk, um, more abbreviations and, uh, and whatnot, but um, synchronous and asynchronous. So personally, I was all in on project-based learning before this all came in. Um, and I continue to be all in on project-based learning. I think project-based learning is the right way to engage kids. More than anything right now, we need to feel like our lives have meaning and that we're working on stuff that matters, not that we're just cranking through worksheets. And project-based learning is a great way to do that. So um, we have very limited class time. Our school schedule has um, two classes per day, each at an hour and a half long. And honestly, I think that's about the right amount of screen time face-to-face -face with students if we have to be in a computer. Um, I don't think it's super developmentally appropriate or healthy um, for us to be on Zoom meetings for six or eight hours a day. Um, you know, three to four hours of Zoom a day feels like a lot um, and a you know, reasonable ask. So that's what our synchronous piece is. And what I've leaned into is that all of our synchronous time is for kids talking to other kids. So any time that we are synchronous face-to-face, -face, I don't think they need to hear my voice the most. Now, this is just generally my philosophy anyway. I think kids should be doing the thinking and the talking and the learning. But that means that during the synchronous time, we are doing group work, it is collaborative, we're doing it for lab work stuff, and we're doing some planning and solving of problems and some analyzing of data. So they might plan out what they're gonna do for a project, they would solve some problems related to their project, they would analyze some data that they've gathered as part of their project, and that allows me to hop from group to group and um, to kind of use that time to help kids individually and for kids to help each other. So it's a lot of collaborative work, it's a lot of kind of thinking together, and we do that primarily through Zoom breakout rooms. So my students will show up, um, make sure that I get them talking as soon as possible, uh, I try to check in with each of them at the beginning of each day, even if it's just like a good morning, welcome back, how are you today, um, per kid, right, for each kid. Um, and just, just an acknowledgement that like, hey, I see you, um, and it's nice to have you here, and let's jump in. Then I uh, split them into some breakout rooms through Zoom. Um, I generally have breakout rooms of three, sometimes four students, uh, to try to make the numbers work. But I think three is a number where they can talk reasonably comfortably, um, but they're not just with one other person. 
And then they're working on their group projects. Um, and that's primarily what we're doing during our synchronous time. Every once in a while, I'll do like 30 minutes together as a whole class, um, maybe 45 minutes as a whole class where we're solving a problem all together, um, doing a demonstration, um, doing something like a, an extended lab piece where we're looking at data, gathering some data, and then solving together. So that's the analyzing component. But for the most part, students, I want them talking. I want them working during our synchronous time. Asynchronous is then the other part. If synchronous is at the same time all together, then asynchronous would be different times, separate locations. So this is stuff that you would post to your learning platform, Google Classroom, what have you, um, that students can do on their own schedule. So I have leaned into doing all direct instruction through asynchronous modes. Um, I don't think that kids need to be watching me all at the same time. So I pre-record all of those as videos, and then students watch those and take notes as they're going. I will also post all of my notes um, for that. So I'll show me taking the notes as I'm talking through, showing images, etc., cetera, um, doing like lecture direct instruction. I try to keep those to about 15 minute chunks even if I have to have two or three 15-minute chunks, because I just feel like 15 minutes watching a video, um, your attention span is done, and then let's move on. Um, other things that we would do asynchronously would be like independent practice problems. So homework stuff, um, additional research, taking notes, doing readings, uh, reflections. So uh, all of my students have individual websites, and they're doing updates for those. Um, and then all assessments. So that's the other big thing, is that all tests and assessments are done asynchronously. Um, and I'll talk about the benefits and the downsides to what I've been seeing there. So within our school, um, our daily schedule has synchronous class time from 9 to 12.10. So there's two sessions of 90 minutes and then a 40-minute break um, per day. Students are taking four classes per semester. Um, we're in a four-by-four four block. And um, so they see two classes per day and then alternate days. And then we have one day a week where we see all four classes for 40 to 50 minutes. Then they have asynchronous time in the afternoons. Um, we have tutorial built in so that there is time where um, teachers can request students to come in and get additional help. Or students can come in and get additional help from a specific teacher if they have a question or a problem or they just want to work one-on-one -on -one or in a smaller group. All right, so for asynchronous stuff um, through Google Classroom, um, we have just about everything posted on Google Classroom. Kind of key things that we've um, noted is that Google Classroom asynchronous assignments work if they are simple and more manageable. So like do this act, like watch this video, answer these questions. Um, now, I'm pre-recording all of my videos, and so I can kind of like make sure that I address different parts that I know are coming. Um, it's also really helpful to chunk those assignments into coordinated daily tasks. So instead of giving like one monster thing, um, it's helpful to say like, okay, we're going to do this today, this the next day, et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to use as much clarity as we possibly can to really help students organize their time. Um, and chunk through some of that asynchronous work. For synchronous stuff, as I mentioned, um, I'm using Zoom, um, 
you know, Google Meets is another option, but I just really like Zoom's breakout rooms and uh, the fact that I can jump from room to room and help students, they can call me to get additional help. Um, so it's like all collaboration, all group work during class. The big piece here is prioritizing students' socialization and their emotional well-being. I recognize that students are going to learn some academic stuff during class, but the big part that I am worried about for my students is the lack of social connection. And that's for my own biological kids who are four, six, and eight years old, and for my high school students. Um, I think what's really missing with not being in class is interacting with people. And so having students interact with each other as much as possible in those Zoom breakout rooms is really key. I think that's where school can still hopefully be a little bit fun, even if it's not the same the same. Um, and I've been really impressed with how my students have kind of like taken to that and been able to do some really cool things. So my goal is to have students connect and talk to each other in the first eight minutes and then frequently thereafter. So sometimes that might be a little quick think pair share where I put them into like little mini breakout rooms. They talk about something with a partner and then come back. Other times where they're working in the breakout room with their group for like the whole time. So there's some back and forth. Sometimes there's just some extended group work. Um, and it's just kind of a way for students to build relationships with each other and feel connected to their class community. And I got to say, I have been wildly impressed with what students have been able to do um, through this kind of like remote group work stuff. So I've been continuing to do all of my normal projects. Um, we do a Rube Goldberg machine at the beginning of the school year um, to learn about like engineering design cycle. And then we did a physics of sports video and we've still been doing the public presentations. So um, we've been presenting things digitally. Kids have been presenting in evening presentation nights for judges and uh, community members. Um, and it's gone really well. Like the challenge obviously is that the kids can't be together. But the benefit is because they know they have to present it digitally, the level of planning that they have to do really skyrockets. So they really have to think through, how am I going to explain this? How am I going to show it digitally and visually through a screen? And then what am I going to say as I'm showing it to make it really clear? And so I was really impressed with some of the ways that kids thought through, like, the level of clarity they needed to have to really explain their thought process and to put everything together to show what they were able to accomplish. Obviously, there are challenges. Um, I usually do a lot of teaching about like how to use tools and build things, um, and we're still doing all the building, but they're using a lot more like scissors and glue um, because those are the tools that they have easy access to at home. So much less drilling and woodwork and um, saws because most students don't have access to that. Some students do, um, and they're still building some stuff with the tools that they have in their garages. Um, but other kids are building everything out of cardboard boxes and tape, um, which is working, right? It's, it's remarkable how much you can build out of cardboard. Um, right now, we're building alternative energy vehicles, and students are you know, building a car that can go five meters exactly and then stop right on the five meter mark. And so it's a lot of like cardboard bodies um, using like pencils or pens for axles, um, anything round as wheels. So some students are cutting round circles out of cardboard. Other students are using CDs or uh, the tops of cans or uh, jars. Um, 
and then rubber bands to kind of create some, some spring potential energy or using some gravitational potential energy, running the thing down a ramp, like lots and lots of options, but all of them involve, you know, something moving somewhere and kids have been really creative. I'm, I'm actually wildly impressed. There's a lot of groups that are doing uh, like sail oriented things, um, running along like a, a wire, like a gondola kind of thing, but using a, a sail power. So they're going to use some wind power and convert the kinetic energy of the wind into the motion of their, their car. Um, it's kind of cool. Um, so it's, it's neat to see what they're able to do. But all of that is through the general practice of using those Zoom breakout rooms and having the kids working together, giving them problems to solve and letting them get after it. All right. Um, obviously, when you're also using Zoom, screen sharing is huge. Um, I've been having students screen share with each other a lot within those breakout rooms. So we mentioned that they use Google Jamboard. Um, that's a nice tool for students to show images and to share ideas with each other. Um, I've also been doing a lot of screen sharing using a digital whiteboard, which is explain everything. It's one that I can use through an iPad and then um, cast the iPad to my, my Zoom screen on my computer. Um, and that allows me to like do normal writing and um, solving of problems. And I can also import pictures uh, and talk about those through vis uh, visuals. So I use that a ton for my asynchronous videos. I've started teaching AP Physics this year. Um, and so I've been recording you know, a lot of videos for AP Physics. Um, and those have pictures from the textbook, diagrams, um, and then a lot of solving problems. And so all of that is done through a digital whiteboard um, program explain everything and kind of like writing on the iPad and talking through how I solve that way. All right. Another thing that I mentioned is um, for direct instruction. So this would be like lecture um, or, you know, what a lot of traditional school has been. I am doing that entirely asynchronously. Um, I am recording my screen using Zoom, so you can, um, I share my screen from my iPad to my computer, I start recording it, and um, then I can just kind of like, it shows my face in the corner, and I talk as I'm doing the work, and it shows like what my whiteboard is and what I'm doing. So that allows me to do all of my direct instruction in like 10 to 15 minute short videos. As I mentioned, sometimes for AP Physics, we're doing like pretty in-depth long stuff. And so it might actually have like an hour's worth of lecture. Um, but I break it up into little 15 to 20 minute chunks for a few reasons. Number one, I think it helps the students kind of stay focused and stay in. And number two, I get really tired. So um, I found like when I let myself go and it goes to like a 30 minute one, I'm almost certainly gonna make a mistake. So it's much better to get it in short chunks of like 15, maybe 20 minutes, um, and then stop it and then record a next one. Um, and that way I'm fresh and ready to go for all of those videos. The other nice part there is it allows students to go back and watch them at a time that works for them. Or if they miss it, they can go back and rewatch it. So let's say they get to the end and they're like, oh, I wasn't really paying very good attention. Cool, go back and watch the part that you need to watch. Um, I think it's also important to post those as videos and to post a digital copy of your notes. So provide a PDF or an image or the actual Google, like the slideshow that you've been using, 
um, but give them the hard copy, give them the digital version of the notes, and give them a video of you talking about what the big, note, the big ideas are. Um, that way students can go back, they can copy things down, or they can just print it out and have it there. Um, but having the copy of the notes is a huge benefit for students, especially when we don't get to be face-to-face -face together. That's you know good practice all the time, but especially now. All right, other stuff um, for asynchronous work. So asynchronous at home on your own time um, is doing independent practice problems. So traditionally, we've called this homework. Now, everything is homework because you're doing it from your own home. Um, however, I think it's still something where doing that independent practice work and having the time to do it can be something that you can do asynchronously. Um, the other key piece that I've seen is after I have students turn in their work, I post a key for everything. Like if I'm having students do it and I know there's a right answer, I post the key for that. So that's also meant that I'm going through and doing all of the problems as well. And I try to be as detailed as I can in showing every step of my work so that they can see like, okay, what did you do here? How did you get from that part to that part? Um, then once I've posted the key, I ask students to post any questions or any problems that they need to go over in the assignment comments. And then I can record a video showing me solving those problems that students struggled with, or students can come into tutorial and get help with those specific ones. So they get a few shots at it, right? First, they get to give it their best try as independent practice. If they can't figure it out, they still submit it, and I give them credit for trying the work. But then I post the key, and they can go back through and actually correct their work off of the key. And then, if it still doesn't make sense with the answer and my work in front of them, they can ask additional questions, and I'll try to work through it again with them. Um, either work through it live, do it on video, um, or have them come into my Zoom tutorial, and we can work that. And then the last thing that I use asynchronously is all of assessments. Now, generally, um, when we think of assessments, we're thinking about tests. And as we are totally um, asynchronous, or like since we're remote, traditional multiple choice tests on facts aren't very useful because students can and probably should just look up the answers. If it's a fact-based answer, I kind of hope that my students have the research ability to look up the right answer. So we've been really trying to lean towards performance assessments. Again, this is just good practice, um, but having students demonstrate their understanding through long-term projects and their final presentation of that project. Um, through some kind of longer answer pieces, um, ways of demonstrating their learning in non-just test formats, uh, students writing essays or writing website updates. That's a great way of having them show their understanding. Um, and then presenting their idea to the class. So all of these could be good performance assessments. Now, you could still give a traditional test. Um, since I'm teaching an AP class, for my AP class, my assessment is previous AP test questions. But those previous AP test questions are hosted through the AP platform, um, and it's just really good practice for students to get used to answering those AP type questions. Um, and those are really deep thinking questions where you can't really look up the right answer. 
Uh, I mean, I would love for them to look up everything that they possibly can around the right answer, but then you've still got to do the thinking to figure out, okay, in this particular application, how do I apply my knowledge? Um, and I don't love everything about the AP, but for AP physics, they're pretty good at giving pretty hard, robust application of knowledge questions. So that's another piece is I don't think that I need to spend my very limited class time of face-to-face -face time having students sitting quietly taking a test and trying to make sure that I, you know, they're not quote-unquote cheating on the test. I'm going to give them, uh, you know, two to five days to work on the quote-unquote test on their assessment. And then as they're working on it, it's great if they ask questions, if they look stuff up. Um, I want to see what they're able to understand with all the resources that are accessible to them. And so we're trying to design assessments that actually get at that, because that would be the kind of assessment that we'd really like to see. Okay, so having gone through all of that, um, basically what we've got is a big balance between synchronous and asynchronous learning. Synchronous is for face-to-face -face stuff, and I think the most important thing there is students interacting with each other. So I'm leaning really heavily towards collaborative work, towards group work, using those Zoom breakout rooms and having students work on longer term projects, three to four week projects that they're working on together. Um, the asynchronous stuff we're using for all of our direct instruction. So we could call that a flipped classroom where students are watching videos and taking notes. We're using that for independent practice problems and we're using that for all of our assessments. Now, Full disclosure, stuff that's not working. So the things that aren't working, the primary one is if students just don't do the asynchronous work. Because students are only like live in class for about three hours per day, um, that can't be the entire school day. Um, you can't get through an entire year's worth of work for all of your classes in three hours. So it's really reliant on students doing some of that independent asynchronous work. Like if students don't do the assessment, um, you know, I give them five days or what have you, um, then it involves a lot of like me hassling them to like, hey, uh, how's that going? Are you ready to turn that in yet? Can I help you with it? Come to tutorial. But the challenge is if, if students just don't do it, you really need some data point to be able to say like, yes, I can see something and you actually did it. And that's the frustrating part is because I'm not there with them, um, you know, able to look over their shoulder, until they turn something in or hold it up to the screen, it's impossible for me to really know what they've been doing. So finding those spots where I can give like formative feedback has been really, really hard. It's really reliant on students submitting something. Um, so that's been kind of a challenge. The independent practice problems, if they don't do those, I mean, they're for practice, so it is what it is. I would really like them to do all of them, but if they can figure out how to do it, the, the challenge is just like if they don't complete the assessment. Um, you know, the nice part is that the assessments are not timed, so I can accept them late, but I do have to accept them at some point, right? Students have to actually get them done. So I'd say that's the biggest challenge. 
Um, another big challenge is uh, dealing with kind of technical issues through all of it. So our synchronous stuff works great, but it does rely on students actually being able to talk to each other. And so that's really reliant on building a healthy and um, safe classroom community, just like we would in person. Um, the psychology of seeing yourself on screen, I think, is really difficult. And so a lot of students want to tilt their cameras so that you can see like maybe the top of their hairline, but not their whole face. And I totally get that, to be perfectly honest. Like we ask that they have their cameras on so that we can see them and interact with them. But I think there's something about like the way that a lot of these platforms show your picture as well as the other people's pictures. You can see yourself on screen. And so normally if I'm sitting in class, I don't see myself, I don't have a mirror looking at me, and I'm not reminded that other people can see me all the time. Um, when I'm on camera, I'm reminded that people can see me all the time, and that's really hard. Um, psychologically, it you know maybe I don't want to be seen all the time. If I'm in a classroom with 30 other kids, um, most of us are looking up at the teacher or we're talking to each other, but when we're talking to each other, we know people might be looking at us but it's not like the entire class could be staring at me. Um, so I think that's a really tough psychological component. Um, I, you know, I think it's much easier to interact with each other with cameras on. It's nice to see each other through those Zoom screens. Um, but the other piece is like, especially at the high school level, um, as students are you know, aware of themselves and reasonably self-conscious, um, we do get some cameras off or um, learning a lot about ceiling fans. Like I see students' ceilings and ceiling fans and their uh, lighting of their bedrooms uh, pretty well. And oftentimes I can see their faces too. And that's lovely. All right, so those are some of the challenges that we're facing. The last piece that I wanted to jump into is just kind of like, why are we here in the first place? And, and I will say, as a teacher, I think as a human, this has been a wildly frustrating time. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning that you know teaching has become twice as hard and half as fun, and that's why I haven't put out a podcast uh, in quite a while, because I've been working really hard to just try to keep up uh, with the teaching part. And I think, um, you know, obviously the case rates that we are seeing in the U.S. and across the world are really scary and frustrating. Um, but also, it's just wildly frustrating to see the things that we're prioritizing and the things that we're not prioritizing. And uh, as someone who thinks that education is really, really important, it's, it's so disheartening to see how little we have prioritized education. Um, it feels like we have prioritized getting restaurants open, we've prioritized getting bars open, we've prioritized um, sports and hanging out with each other socially way before we cared about whether or not the kids could get back into school. And when we did want kids to get, I mean, we have always wanted kids to get back into school, but when we do want kids to get back into school, it's like, yeah, 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 don't worry about the safety part, let's just, let's just do it. Um, and that's not a great solution either. So as a teacher, I and a parent, um, I would have loved if we had prioritized actually getting our kids into school first, like shutting everything down, get the kids back in school, and then we can start reopening everything else. Um, unfortunately, that's not a choice that we've made, and there's been, as a society, 
seems like a lot of mismanagement of um, the COVID-19 pandemic and our response to it. However, I think this falls into one of those like control the things that you can control kind of things. Um, And what I can control is providing the best possible experience uh, for teenagers and for students so that they can still grow as people and learn new skills um, and have a positive school and social experience. So that's what we've been trying to do. So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that there's still a a ton of frustration there. Um, Hopefully, our school will be coming back in January, um, ideally, assuming that we can keep case rates low enough. Um, Students will be coming back in person to a hybrid version, so half the kids in person and half the kids uh, from home come January 4th, um, and we'll see if we're actually able to do that. Um, Cool. So with that, I hope that you are staying safe. Um, Best of luck with your teaching and learning, and look forward to seeing you again, hearing you again, listening to you again next time. Bye, friends. Stay well.